Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Do you have big plans for your Valentine's Day? Oh, I always do. Yeah? What are you going to do? Probably stay at home, watch TV. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so romantic. You know, after a while, that is like the best. Just being at home and relaxing and being together. What was it? Mrs. Mia Watts says, comfortably share silence. Yeah. Yeah. She was a wise lady. Yeah. And we both like reading. So that's always fun too. Oh, so you might read together. Yeah. And we might actually um, maybe have dinner together. Are you going to read aloud to each other? No. No. Just silently. (laughs) Silently together. Sounds amazing. (laughs) What are you going to do, Holly? Probably nothing. (laughs) I'll probably go home. Maybe I'll watch some Schitt's Creek or something. (laughs) Schitt's Creek. Yeah. So in honor of Valentine's Day, Carol, I have a couple of very romantic ghost stories for you. Wow. Okay. All right. So get ready for this because it's going to make your heart swoon in more ways than one. (laughs) Okay. I'm being courted by ghost stories, people. Maybe a little little bit darker than you might have anticipated, but it is definitely (laughs) going to make you think twice about love <laughs> oh it is um yeah maybe a little bit okay so the first one i got from texas monthly magazine the title of the article was called kiss and kill and kiss and kill if that wasn't clear because i wasn't. think i said it kind of fast yeah kiss and kill rather than kiss and tell right kiss and kill okay so this story took place in 1960 um, and it was about this girl, this true story, happened in Odessa, Texas. This girl named Betty Williams um, was kind of a girl before her time. She was a bit of a free spirit. Um, she loved the arts. She was really into drama, especially in her high school. She was um, just a 17-year-old girl. So she was really into her drama school and or drama arts in her high school, I should say. And in fact, it was her dream to get out of Odessa one day and become an actress. She was very intellectual. She had very strong opinions. And she had absolutely no problem parking with the boys. Woohoo. Which I think they really liked, even though it was not socially acceptable at the time. She would uh, go ahead and saunter on down to her local drive in, and she would be wearing all black and no bra. Oh, my goodness. I know, which of course was scandalous in those days, but she didn't care. She was a free spirit. She just wanted to, you know, do what she wanted to do. She got a lot of attention from the boys who would drop off their quote-unquote good girlfriends at curfew and then swing back around and pick her up later. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so she, you know, she had a little bit of a reputation, but that's okay. And she probably no didn't judgment. have many girlfriends either. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think she was very popular. But she did start to date and fall for a boy, a football player named Mac Herring. Um, she really liked Mac. He seemed to be a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more mature than the other boys that she had gone with. Um, and she thought they had a real connection. And she ended up falling pretty hard for him. But the problem was that Betty, like I just said, was not that popular. And Mac was. So Mac didn't really advertise too heavily that they were a thing. 
And that upset Betty quite a bit. So she decided to, I guess, speculation is she decided to get revenge on Max. So she went parking with one of his best friends. Uh-oh. Yeah. So he did not like this and broke up with her, which was a devastating for her because she really, really did like him a lot. Betty, being that she was into drama, was a little bit of a drama queen. So she started telling people how she just wanted to die. That this breakup was just traumatic to her and she just could not go on with her life. And she would tell everybody she could find, I just want to die. I just want to die. And then she would start saying, hey, would you kill me? Would you kill me? And everybody just blew it off because she's just being a drama queen Betty. Like she just wants attention. She doesn't serious. I mean, they would make jokes about it. It was no big deal, right? Yeah. Until one day she cornered Mac himself and asked him if he would do it. Ew. Yeah. She she once again said to him, look, I'm I'm not kidding. I want to die. I know I'm going to be much happier if I were in heaven. Can you help me get there? One day, Betty disappeared. And her parents frantically started to look for her. And no one could figure out where exactly she had gone until someone said, hey, I think the last person I saw her with was Mac. Oh, no. So they went ahead and they found Mac and brought him in for questioning. And finally, he broke down and told them what had happened. He took the police out to a rural area and um, told them there was a big stock tank, you know, one of those big tanks for animals to drink out of. Yeah. And it was filled with water. And he said her body's in there. And it was relatively big. So the um, detective said, hey, can you um, get in there and show us where um he stripped off his clothes he waded into the tank and dove under when he came back up he was dragging something heavy behind him odessa police detective fred johnson could see that he was holding a pair of human feet betty was still clad in a pale pink pajamas and had been partially decapitated by a single shotgun blast to the head oh gross who does that who does a shotgun blast to the head like that's going to take off your entire fucking head which is of course how he took her out but nice everyone had said that you know what betty had told everybody she wanted to die she told everybody this so because of that mac actually um was acquitted like he was not held liable for her murder because he felt like he was helping her really to get out of pain but yeah, but isn't there more humane ways of killing someone than that? I would think that oh. that is just really brutal to do that. Yeah, I would imagine that that's what he had at his disposal at the time, and so probably that's what happened. And, you know, it was almost like someone said that maybe what happened was that Betty wanted his attention yeah. and was playing a game of chicken with him to see if he would actually go through with it, and he actually went through with it. Like, that's kind of what the speculation was, but not because Mac did it because he wanted to kill her, but because he he thought he was actually helping her out. Wow, Holly, that's such a warm, fuzzy, heartfelt story for Valentine's Day. Doesn't it make you feel good inside? Yeah, But no. the, the reason I'm including this story here is because real Betty, her ghost, now haunts Odessa High School's auditorium where they have all their high school plays. Oh, awesome. So according to the legend, Betty would appear at the windows of the school auditorium at midnight, provided that students flashed their headlights three times or honked their horns and called out her name. So many teenagers made the late night uh, pilgrimage to see Betty that the high school actually peed over the windows of the school's auditorium so they wouldn't do that anymore. During the later renovation, its facade was was covered with bricks even. So, but the stories about Betty never went away. 
Students would talk of a presence in the auditorium, one that is to blame for a long list of strange occurrences, from flickering lights and noises that cannot be explained to objects that appear to move on their own. Some claimed to have seen her pacing the balcony or heard her footsteps behind them, only to find that nobody was there. Rumors have flourished that a former vice principal who once caught a glimpse of her after hours was so spooked by the encounter that he refused to be in the school again by himself. Now, when they see this apparition... Is her head like halfway gone? <laughs> um, I have not read that her head is missing, so I'm assuming oh. she's intact. Whew. That's no good kidding. to know. So in case, that would be like, really I just want to know in case like I have a messy death, if oh. I'll be beautiful in the afterlife. Oh, That's right. important to me. Right, you know? right. Yeah. I want to look it too because, you know. Because unless... I saw Beetlejuice and those people didn't look so good. No, but unless that that's over. what you're going for, if you want to be a scary ghost, maybe you don't want your head. Yeah, but that, Yeah. Okay. I guess it depends on what your intention is. You got to set your intention and then you'll know mm-hmm. what kind of astral body you want to inhabit when you're dead. That's good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So an Odessa College student and a few of her friends were actually granted permission to stay the night in the auditorium. No, no. And she said that um, when she was there, a door mysteriously slammed closed behind them. They heard eerie footsteps. The stage lights moved when they had called out Betty's name. And after a couple of hours in the auditorium... She and her friends were so unnerved and so certain that they had felt Betty's presence that they decided to leave. Oh, my God. So anyway, if you happen to be hanging out in Odessa, Texas, and you just want to swing by the high school, you can um, make sure to stop in at the auditorium and say a little something hi to Betty. (laughs) That's a great story. So that's one of two. Okay. I have a second. Yeah, I think this is going to be a long episode because I've got several myself. There's so many romantic haunting stories out there. There are. So do you perchance know who Frank Lloyd Wright is? Yes. Okay. Do you know what he was known for? Yeah, stop it. Holly, this is my story. Sorry, no, it isn't. It is. Because I've already done it. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. No. Yes. No, Holly, we talked yes. about this. And remember, I told you I was doing Frank Lloyd Wright and, and Texas I Monthly. And I said to you my whole thing. What, what do you mean you said your whole thing? That what we were going to do. What were we going to do? Oh, my God, your memory. <laughs> oh, my God. How old did you just turn? It's already happening. 46. Oh, my God. It's already setting in. What are you talking about? Did we talk about this? Because I think I told you what my two stories were. Okay, maybe we we haven't talked about this. I thought we had talked about this because those were my two stories. Are you, are you 46? Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> I didn't I, I would not have guessed that. I, I'm 12 on the inside, but my body is technically 46. That's a compliment. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to be told they look young on Valentine's. Yes. <laughs> Especially when no one can actually see what I look like because I'm on a podcast. It's awesome. I'll post a picture. Yeah, it'll go up. <laughs> Everybody will see. <laughs> so did you do the haunting of Taliesin? No. Are you are you shitting me right now? I didn't do that haunting. But you did Frank Lloyd Wright? 
Yes. So don't don't talk about Frank Lloyd Wright. Just talk about the haunting. Well, I can't talk about the haunting without talking about Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> All right. He's a pretty major part of the story. <laughs> sorry. All right. Well, you you do what you have to do, Holly. Okay. Well, so here we go. So I'm sorry I gave you a hard time. <laughs> I'm like, what? I could have swore I told you. Anyway, whatever. It's okay. Fine. Okay. So I, you know what? My memory's pretty bad. <laughs> you know what? If we both did them, but they're different stories, I think that's fine. I think that's fine, too. Yeah. Okay. So I was just watching this documentary about this famous architect, and all of a sudden, they launched into his personal life in this horrific story, and I've always been blown away by it because it is, it is such a huge tragedy for such a legendary person that I was just I couldn't believe it when I heard it. So I always thought this would be a cool story to tell. Frank Lloyd Wright was an American architect. Carol, look at me. <laughs> he was an American architect. Nothing to do with anything other than architecture. That's great. Okay, go, go. <laughs> he was born in 1867 and he grew up in Wisconsin. He was actually known for creating the house called Falling Water, which was called the best all-time work of American architecture. And he designed not just homes, but offices, churches, schools, skyscrapers, hotels, museums, and all sorts of other structures. He actually also designed the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, which is one of his most famous works. In 1991, he was recognized by the American Institute of Architects as the greatest American architect of all time. So that's what we're talking about. Frank Lloyd Webber. Mm. Frank Lloyd Wright. Not Webber. <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay. So anyway. Get your names right. We don't even have it right for the other dude either. It's Andrew. Le but anyway, no, let's just, no, I let's just Frank focus Wright. on your story. So anyway, back in 1914... Wright was married with six kids. Count it. Six kids. One, two, That's three, four. That's nothing back then. Five and six. He fell madly in love with the wife of one of his clients. Her name was Martha Borthwick, but they called her Mama. I don't that know. makes sense with that many kids. Well, no, she she only had two kids, but he had six kids with oh. his wife. Oh, so, so that so the woman he fell in love with was, was not his, his wife. His client's wife. Oh. So he was an architect. I don't like him. He was designing homes for people. He got hired by his neighbor to build a home, and the neighbor's wife fell in love with him, and he fell in love with her. Right? Okay. No, not right. We're Weber. Move on. <laughs> no, kidding. Marma, Mama, <laughs> Borthwick, Cheney was her name. Okay. And so they both fell in love with each other. And of course, this was, you know, 1914, which was a highly scandalous time to be out there having an affair. Like, you just did not do that back in those days. No. So, but they didn't care. They were madly in love with each other. And so they went to their respective spouses and said, hey, honey, um, I'm leaving you for somebody else. Can you give me a divorce? Mama's husband was like, fuck you. Yes. Get out of my house, you bitch. I'm, I'm not sure that's what he said, but it was probably something like that, right? So she immediately got divorced and Frank Lloyd Wright went to his wife and she was like, uh, no, you have six kids. Right. I am not letting you just walk out on us. It's like you a deadbeat dad. You are not getting divorced from me. That is a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Plus, you're going to be the greatest American architect of all time. I am certainly not going to miss out on that coin. So you're you're sticking around. Smart lady. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, he didn't care really about that. But he also couldn't live openly in society with mm -hmm. his mistress because they would be frowned upon by society. So being the, the badass architect that he was, he went ahead and bought some rural property out in Wisconsin and he built his dream house and he called it Taliesin. 
And in Taliesin, he had his mistress move in. What's the significance of the name? Okay, the name Taliesin means shining brow in Welsh, which was initially um, used for this building, but it's built on into the brow of a hill or ridge and later for the entire state. I think he bought the countryside, named it Taliesin, and then he, he named the whole building Taliesin. Oh, yeah. But it, it's Welsh for shining brow. For I don't know. It's old-timer cool. speak for something they think Very is Very cool, shiny. I guess. And pretty. Shiny and bold because it's your brow and it can furrow and make yeah. expressions. Yeah. I don't know. I want my house to look like my shining brow. I think so. Yeah. And I think that the word Taliesin is kind of cool. It is. Anyway, it's pretty. So- because he was so successful, he was also very, very wealthy. And he had many servants that worked around his property. He also had many other construction guys working for him, other architects, people that were working on plans for other buildings that he was doing. One particular servant that they had working for them was um, a guy named Julian Carlton. Julian was starting to lose his marbles a little bit. We're not entirely sure what was going on. We think maybe there was some paranoia going on, something. But they were starting to understand that Julian was a little bit off. They decided to let him go. And Julian did not like that decision. So on the summer day of August 15th, 1914, Mama was at the Taliesin having lunch with her two kids. And Julian, and I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere, but I'm not positive when I went back and did my research. I didn't see this part, but I'm going to put it in here. I believe... He went around the entire home and he hammered all the doors and windows shut. Oh, my gosh. Then he went into the dining hall where they were and he hacked Mama to death as well as her two kids. Ugh. Then he poured gasoline all over the estate and the workers who were, were in the other part of the house, he lit everything on fire and when they tried to run out, he hacked them to death with an axe as well. Wow, that's some anger. Yes, yes, he was pretty pissed off. Draftsman Herbert Fritz managed to break out, open a window, and escape, though he broke his arm in the process. Then um, Julian entered the other dining room and killed draftsman Emile Brodel. He then hid and waited for the other residents to try to escape. Foreman William Weston and his 13-year-old son, Ernest, ran through the door. Carlton attacked them with a hatchet, and the Westons escaped, but Ernest died from his wounds hours later. Julian then slid out the final two residents, a laborer named Thomas Brunker and a gardener named David Limbaum. Brunker and Limbaum managed to fight off Carlton and escape at dilators from their burns and their injuries. So when the house was finally empty, except for the dead bodies laying around, Julian went down into the basement and he um, had a small vial of hydrochloric acid. <laughs> Sorry, he had a small vial of hydrochloric acid that he took as a fall took with him as a fallback plan because he was afraid if he couldn't handle the heat from the fire for his suicide, then he needed to take the acid, which he eventually did take. So he had no way of escaping, Pretty basically, much. when he it ran was a, It was a murder-suicide situation. Oh, it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Lindbaum and Weston were able to alert the neighboring farms of the attack. Weston then returned to the studio and used a garden hose to help extinguish all the flames. Eventually, the surrounding neighbors arrived to assist in putting out the fire and to search for any survivors. The Iowa County Sheriff, John Williams, lo located Julian down in the, in the furnace room and arrested him. He was transferred to the county jail. And, um, of course, the hydrochloric acid that he ingested did, did not kill him, but actually burned his esophagus quite badly, which made it very difficult for him to ingest any food. 
Um, he was indicted on August 16th and was charged with the murder of Emil Brodel, which was the only death that was actually directly witnessed by a survivor. He uh, entered a not guilty plea, if you can believe that. Wow. And then 47 days after the fire, before the case could be heard, he died of starvation in his cell because he destroyed his esophagus. He right. couldn't eat anything. Yeah, you so couldn't eat anything. Kind of a with weird that. way for him to go, but that's what happened. In total, he had managed to kill seven people that day. So, right, you know, he's in Chicago on business. He returns to Taliesin that night and um, eventually. He takes Mama's body to the grounds of nearby Unity Chapel. It's the chapel of his mother's side of the family. He was so heartbroken over the loss of his lover that he did not even mark the grave because he could not bear to be reminded of the tragedy. Oh, we know about unmarked graves, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Um, he also did not hold a funeral for her, though he did fund and attend services for his employees. He struggled with the loss of Brothwick so much that he experienced symptoms of conversion disorder, which is a combination of insomnia, weight loss, and temporary blindness. And it's called conversion? Conversion disorder. That's what they called it back in the day. It might be called something different now. But it was insomnia, weight loss, and temporary blindness. After a few months of recovery um, and his help with his sister, Jane Porter, he was able to move to an apartment that he rented in Chicago. It is believed that the attack and the murder of Mama was so profound that it actually affected his design work after that moving forward. Like it changed the way he designed things. So it was a very big deal for him to lose her. I mean, that would be a big deal for anybody to lose somebody in that matter. It's pretty fucked up. Anyway, the bodies of the dead and injured were brought to a nearby home of Wright's sister, Jane Porter. It was called Tanwidiri. I'm probably saying that wrong. Tanwidiri. It is in and around this cottage where Mama's spirit has been reported over the years. She is usually dressed in a long white gown and she is peaceful. She has a peaceful presence to the people who see her. She is obviously restless and lost. It is also said that the doors and windows open and close by themselves within the cottage and lights sometimes turn off and on. Witnesses say they often close the place for the night, only return the following day to find everything wide open. After the fire, Wright went back to rebuilding Taliesin, the part that had burned down, and he rebuilt it fairly quickly. But on April 20th, 1925, almost 10 years later, the same area of the house burned down again. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that weird? According to Wright's autobiography, the fire appeared to have begun near a telephone in his bedroom. Wright also had mentioned a lightning storm was approaching immediately before noticing the fire. Wright scholars speculate that the storm might have caused an electrical surge through the telephone system, sparking the fire. So Taliesin technically did burn down twice. The same area of the house burned down twice. So that is the story of Frank Lloyd Wright and wow. his home in Taliesin, Wisconsin, and his lover that was murdered by a crazy servant. That is a disturbing story. It Holly. really is. But after, and sad. after all that happened, his actual wife said, okay, you can have a divorce now. <laughs> so it had a happy Well, ending. the house is destroyed now. It'll never be the same. Now that your life is in, in shambles, I will Great. give you that divorce. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, those are my stories of love and woe. That's great, That's why I stay single because I don't want to be burned to death by a mad servant and I don't want to deal with a guy shooting me in the head with a shotgun. <laughs> so happy Valentine's Day, Carol. What do you have for me? So I came across a couple of strange articles a few months ago back in November that talked about Cupid having a delay last Valentine's Day. 
apparently there was a bunch of ghost texts received eight months later that was supposed to have been sent on or right before Valentine's Day. And the long-delayed ghost messages were sent from and received by both iPhones and Android devices and appeared to have involved all the major phone carriers in the United States. Really? The total number of messages sent due to what was described as an internal maintenance cycle was around 170,000. What? Right. And this was... Was it a virus? Um, yeah. Somebody so released that, that this that was third funny? party company, Cineverse, who provides technology and business services to these big telecommunication companies, said it was their internal maintenance cycle that caused all this. So your text messages are being read by a third party service, just to let you know. And people shared their time warped experiences on social media and Reddit when all this happened. And they described receiving messages from former flames that resulted in some very awkward conversations because this is eight months later. And others said messages came from friends or relatives who have since passed away. Oh, that's um, very disturbing. Which is really heartbreaking. And some of these examples were a college student in Arizona, Samantha Majorzak, said she received a text that said, how's your day going from her dad who died in March? That's fucked up. That's right. really fucked up. And then California resident Barbara Cole said she received an old message from her sister saying their mom was doing well, but again, her mom died in June. She said all she's done is thought about this message since she got it, and I'm out looking at the ocean right now because I needed a break. Oh, man. Another person said a text message she fired off in February was received by someone who is now her ex-boyfriend, according to The Verge. How awkward would that be? Hi, honey, wait, wait. I love you, but wait. wait, we broke up in June. Maybe maybe it was him. <laughs> what do you maybe mean? Maybe he wants to get back together. Eight months later. Yeah, people are thinking. <laughs> and some people said, so it, it just caused a lot of confusion. Yeah, it sounds like um, it. So were these like old text messages that were being resent for some reason? Is that what this is? So they got delayed. So these people never got these messages that were supposed to have been received oh, on shoot. Valentine's Day. Oh, God damn. And instead they got them eight months later. Oh, And that's... they were sent eight months later and received eight months later. So some people never had their message sent right. and some people didn't receive it that was right. supposed to have gotten it. Right. No, and that's not good. in some ways it actually worked out really great because for some people it opened up a short conversation and then people got back together with their exes. So oh. in, in some cases, it like work it out. worked out really well. Huh. Um, but anyway, the company just said, sorry, you know, um, the issue's now been resolved and, you know, sorry for the confusion. And that's about all they did. Wow. But that's, let's just hope that this Valentine's Day is not a reoccurrence of that. Right, right, right. Because nobody likes to be ghosted. No. Even through text. Well, maybe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on who it is. Oh, and then I have another story. Oh, good. Please do. It's a tragic love story triangle. Oh. And mine also takes place in a theater. Oh, good. And there's a young girl named either Katie or Carrie something. Uh, her name's not important. But what is, is that she was a dancer, singer, and she recently became engaged. Oh, so nice. she was go, in Carrie, love. Go. Yeah, she was in love. However, when she's doing her acting and she goes home, she starts experiencing being haunted in her dreams. And she doesn't know why this is happening. So she tells her friend. She describes this man in her dreams 
who tells her he lives at the theater and he says that she's beautiful and that he can make her famous. So he he's like going to be her teacher, he says. Is he the director? And, hmm? Is he the director? He's trying to cast her in his, in his I play? I don't know, but like you would think, right? Right. <laughs> Hollywood, Hollywood. <laughs> anyway, he's super creepy romantic, though. Nice. And, um, I like the creepy romantic type. And he's shy. <laughs> he's shy. He hides his face a lot. Sweet. The amazing thing is that everyone around her notices she's suddenly becoming this amazing singer. Oh. And she gets... Is it the orgasm she, she had? She's no, having no. this guy. <laughs> and she gets to be made the she diva of... She hits higher octane notes. Pay attention. <laughs> Sorry. I got distracted. This by... is an amazing story. <laughs> okay, so, yes, I'm tracking Yeah, you. so so out of nowhere, she all of a sudden then becomes this amazing singer because of her dream guy. And then she gets to be made the diva of the stage when all of a sudden the former diva just gets mad and quits. Wait a minute, Carol. What? Isn't this the Phantom of the Opera? Come on, you really think I would do that? I think so. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I was just seeing if I could get away with this, you know. Nice try. Sorry, Josh. Well, we're looking for we real just kind of played here. a prank on you. <laughs> anyway, it's all in good fun. And by the way, who is Phantom of the Opera? Made by Andrew Lloyd Wright. No, <laughs> Andrew <there>? Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Wait, we have Frank Lloyd Wright and Andrew Lloyd Webber. I know. No wonder there's we were. There's too many Lloyds. No wonder we were confused. Yes, there's a Lloyd and a Lloyd. I can't even Frank keep my Andrew own name Webster straight. Right. Much less Andrew Lloyd. It's almost Webber the exact same name. That's why I was freaked out. Wait, did Andrew Lloyd Webster? No, Webber. Webber. <laughs> <laughs> did Andrew Lloyd Webber have a mistress? At his mansion in Wisconsin that was murdered by a crazy servant? No. Then we're okay. Yeah, we're We've fine. We've got different stories. Yeah, totally different relatives. Okay, good. Or different people. How, I mean, it, this really just lined up accidentally? This yeah, is kind very of, weird. Kind of yeah, that, that was kind weird. It kind of did. It kind because of, she we started kind of accusing it. me of doing her story. I know. I was and pissed. I'm like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? I was pissed. We, we had decided ahead of time. So good. <laughs> so good. What I was going to do. And, and then what I was you thinking, I was legit thinking, what other creepy stories does Frank Lloyd Wright have? <laughs> this is like the pinnacle of creepy stories. Yeah. What else happened to him that I should be talking about? I'm glad I fooled you too, Holly. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But anyway, enough of that. I actually do have a real phantom oh. Valentine story. Ooh. And it's not Phantom of the Opera. Oh. This is called The Phantom Whistler. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't whistle, so I can't. And my story also takes place in, you know, the beyond in the 1950s. Nice. In the small town of Paradis. And would you say that word, Louisiana, for me? Louisiana. Oh, yeah. A disturbing fandom lurked and preyed on one residence, causing her to nearly lose her mind with anxiety and fear. Oh, shit. Her name was Jacqueline Cadow, or Cadow, or I don't know. Cadow. 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 It kind of reminds me of cacao. Cacao. The chocolate. <laughs> You're right. Cacao. Um, Jacqueline Cadow. Cadow. A teenager who, you know, was living a normal life in this small Louisiana town until one day she started hearing these weird whistles. And at first it all began with just like one whistle every now and then. I'm already sounds, creeped out by this. Yeah. That sounds like a cat call. Okay. Like a so, whoop whoop. Like a... Like a like yeah, a, you do it because I can't do it. There we go. There we go. Yeah. At first she was like, okay, somebody's just playing a prank on me. And but then it progressed to these whispers she would hear. And then disturbing phone calls she would receive. Ew. 
The worst was when this escalated to strange whistled music, which resembles funeral music. Like the dirge marches, the whistle started ticking on the tune of a funeral march. Can you whistle a funeral march so we get the idea? Oh, no, that's a wedding tune. Let's see. No, it sounded like a funeral tune. Let's see. I got to lick my lips here. Dun, dun, dun. That's taps, right? Dun, no, see, dun, the thing dun. is, my whistle, I can't get low enough. I'm a soprano. I can't, I can't, I can't do low whistles for funerals. Can you? I can't. I don't think I can really whistle. And I don't want to try. <laughs> like, I, can't even, I can't even speak articulately, so I'm not mm-hmm. even going to try a whistle. No, I can't. I can't. Okay. This is good podcasting right here. <laughs> okay, we can't. I feel the quality. Okay, the I, I'm, I am actually a whistler. I don't know why I can't pull this off this evening because it's a low funeral song and I can only whistle while I work. <laughs> can we just go with sweet, okay, I'm sorry. Low, no, that's sweet a, That's actually a fun song and it's not Come a funeral for, song. It's not a, it's not a no. funeral song. No. I just said that's a funeral song I thought that was a horror movie song <laughs> same thing a lot of them are used in horror movies okay okay back, clear that back to the story and most of that will probably be cut out all of it stays um, <laughs> um, these sounds just terrorized her so she said she would hear them wherever she went so, so they were all around her. And then the worst of it was when she was in her own room, she could swear it was hanging out right outside of her window. Because she was only 18 years old, most people in the town didn't believe her. They just thought, you know, she's just doing this to attract attention like Betty and like, come on, stop with your stories of being stalked. Jacqueline was just really all alone in her world. And... She would call the police to come to their home to investigate, but the police couldn't find anything. And they noticed that there were bushes down below her window, but... Is she on the second story? Mm-hmm. Okay. But even when they would come right away, they couldn't find any evidence of anyone, like footprints, nothing. I mean, they just couldn't find anything. They couldn't even find any suspects, like anybody that didn't like her. In the town. I mean, it was relatively a small town. Hmm, okay. Um, so after a while, they just assumed it was her wild imagination and mm-hmm. just that of a teenager sure. making up stories. Yeah. It was basically like the boy who cried wolf. Right. And when she would call, because she wouldn't stop calling, they just didn't come over. Jeez. Yeah. Well, this all changed one day for Jacqueline when her own mother heard the eerie disembodied whistling sounds outside her window. Oh, my God. She's being ghost stalked. Yeah. So she described to the police what she heard, and she said it definitely came from right outside the window. So the police came over again, and with this new person corroborating, corroborating, excuse me, corroborating Jacqueline's mysterious phantom story, they were all serious about finding the culprit of this. But just like before, this went on and on, and they just really couldn't find anyone. Hmm. There was nothing that the police could do, so they left. But here's the good news. Even with all of this, she was still able to find true love when all this was happening. Okay. Yeah. With the ghost? No. Did she open the window and let him in at night? That's what happened. No. No. But Jacqueline, there are stories of people falling in love with ghosts, but this one... She found love and got engaged to a state trooper named Herbert Belsom. 
Did she meet him because she called him over to her house all the time to investigate no, the strange whistling? No, but but he heard the story, so he also took it upon himself to be over there a lot. Uh-huh, <laughs> I bet he did. And to investigate. So when she got engaged to this guy, and we've already talked about who he is the, the and everything. Cop. Yeah. The whistler then became even more agitated. He was enraged. So he's jealous. So his whistling became It's angry? a lover's triangle. Yeah. So he was really pissed off. So he escalated his harassment. And this time, he would call her on the phone, first making strange comments about her fiancé's mustache. <laughs> that is was a she, low blow. Was she engaged to Tom Selleck? No. Please tell me she was. No. Damn. And I'm pretty sure it was one of those handlebar mustaches. Oh, sexy hot. Okay. Yeah. And then he would do horrible moaning into the phone receiver and heavy breathing. What year was this again? I know, 1950. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. So the whistler, the phantom whistler, then he pushed his dangerously bizarre behavior even more by starting to threaten not only Jacqueline, but members of her family. And he told her he would stab them several times. Oh my God. He would cut her throat Ooh, and shit. he made other various threats to her life. Wow. All because she got engaged. And if the Phantom Whistler could not have Jacqueline to himself, he would make sure that no one could. The Phantom Whistler. I love this. I love it. Yes. It's a great story. Anyway, so he repeatedly would tell Jacqueline, do not marry your fiance because if she did, he would kill her, everyone, and her brother too. So he would just keep adding more and more people to it. Every time he threatened her, he'd be like, (laughs) and I'm going to kill your cat. And I'm going to kill your gardener. And your school teacher, because I yeah, know where she lives. That's right. And I'm going to dig up your grandparents, kill them again, and then rebury them. I know. And Jacqueline, all, when all this was going on, she would still hear funeral music being whistled from outside her window. And this time, it would it would be followed by blood-curdling screams. Ew. Yeah. So this is just... It's driving her to the point of a mental breakdown. Yes. And, it's driving me to a mental breakdown. What right. the fuck is going on? So her family decided that for her own safety and her family's as well, she should move. Yes, and far so away. guess where she moved to? Portland, Oregon. No. she. Why would that make sense? <laughs> Portland well, is really haunted. <laughs> it seems like it would be it would be the logical move from Louisiana. I Wouldn't you come here? <laughs> No? No. Okay, sorry. No, you would go and move. Mobile, Alabama. No, you'd go move to where your boyfriend, Austin, your engaged Texas. fiance oh, is. Uh, what, where? Where'd they okay, go? Okay, never mind. Okay. So she basically had to get away. And the situation had gotten so much more serious that the police got involved again. So Jacqueline's plot of moving around didn't work because this phantom whistler knew where she was going at all times. She would she would go from house to house. First, it was her aunt's house. And then it was a concerned friend's home who barely even knew her. Wow. So she was trying to yeah, find dod- dodge him. She was trying to dodge him. So the local newspaper soon caught wind of what was happening to Jacqueline. And they started covering the story. So there were so many newspaper stories at that time covering the strange phantom whistler and how his menacing whistling and stalking of Jacqueline was slowly escalating and driving her mad that these reporters came out to interview her. Hmm. And because they were around constantly her bedroom window and in the house, they were firsthand witnesses 
to these phone calls and the whistling outside her bedroom window. So all this still continued. Right. Even when these, you know, investigators were around. Yes. And like so many times before, there was no one there. Ah, so weird. Yeah. And many of the family members that lived in the home with Jacqueline, including her mother and father, also reported that they heard the moaning and the whistling. Wow. So they heard it all. And they claimed that the sounds weren't made by a human voice. They thought it sounded disembodied or otherworldly. Wow. Huh. Almost like a supernatural being from the unknown, like they couldn't put their finger on it. It didn't really even sound manly. On several occasions, men who were witnesses to the noises immediately undertook a quick search for the culprit, and they were hanging out below the window right? and still heard it above them. Really? Yeah. So she huh. suffered a collapse and a fainting spell one day when she and her mother, her aunt, and a New Orleans state newspaper reporter were all witnesses to another menacing whistler attack. The state police and local authorities continued with their investigation, and again, no suspect was found. She was definitely at the end of her rope. Yeah. So she went to stay at the house of her future in-laws, okay. Herbert Belsom's parents. But still, the whistler was able to trace her. And Jacqueline's own mother received a call with an ominous voice rasping out on the telephone line, Tell Jackie, I know she's at the Herbert's house. <laughs> did you like that? I did. That was a good voice. Eventually, Jacqueline decided that she was going to have to move on with her life and marry the man that she loved and was engaged to. She was terrified what was going to happen, but she couldn't just live her entire life in fear. Right. So on Jacqueline's wedding day, with hordes of local press and reporters covering the event, they all anticipated that the phantom whistler would show up and make his move on the big day. But guess what? What? Nothing happened. Wow. Everything After all that, nothing yeah, happened. Everything stopped. The whistler vanished, and the phantom whistler was never heard from again. Now, the sheriff's department was pretty embarrassed by the lack of evidence and not finding the culprit. So after the call stopped, the police released a statement claiming the phantom was actually a hoax, and it was an inside job, and the family was furious. Wow. They immediately contacted the police department <clears throat> and made them recant their statement. Yeah. Later, the sheriff's department claimed that they had now solved the case and caught the whistler, but they did not want to release the name or any other information for fear of embarrassing the families involved. So, see, they were just trying to figure out a way to save face. Right. When actually people went to find it, the arrest reports or any indication that the whistler had been found. Uh, but, of course, there was no record showing any arrests yeah, of course at that not. time. Yeah. Yeah. So no one knows who the whistler was. Huh. He could have just been a sociopath that was good at covering his tracks or really a ghost. I'm going with ghosts. Right. Because he was obviously obsessively in love with a girl who could never love him back. Yeah. And so once he realized she was married, he was like, time to move on. It's so interesting that the second she got married, he dropped off. Well, because he knew that her virginity would be taken at that point. And he <laughs> wasn't he interested was after. after that. He was looking for... He was for... like, she's going to be, you know, deflowered, and that's it. I can't have sloppy seconds, folks. Hey, this was back in the 50s, so... Unless her vagina is high... Oh, my God. Her vagina is haunted. Don't say that word. Maybe huh? he was residing in her, her vagina the whole time. Holly, don't say that word. People source. don't like that word. Vagina? Vagina? Uh, vagina. Uh, uh, do, you, uh. do you think that, that maybe he was living within her? 
No. And that's why people couldn't find where the noise was coming from? Because I think you're working up her. to like a sequel to that novel. I think I would like one. All right. Yes. Well, that's my story. That happy Valentine's Day, everyone, yeah. coming up. Happy Valentine's Day. On Friday. Day. <sighs> Stay you, single. May you have love that's not crazy or haunted. Or deadly. I asked, where are you headed? Thinking maybe we could give him a note. Or, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> I'm so blind, Holly. <laughs> okay, so, tell, so, so anyway. Um, uh, la, la, la. So, uh, Carlton, I'm sorry. The, uh, let, me, let me redo this. So, he, Carlton, um, I'm sorry. Let me, let me just take, take all of this out. Brunker and Lindbaum managed to fight off Julian and escape, but dad died. Fuck. It's not always about that. Sometimes oh. people love you for your mind. I haven't found that person yeah, yet. Whatever. This one. Oh, I need my flashlight. That's what's missing. That's what you need. I need my damn flashlight. Yeah, there you go. Now you can see. Okay, God. I thought I thought I thought that was a joke the first time. <laughs> I, I guess I thought that that's that's I have an yeah. iPad learning disability. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, he, uh... If I leave it on the dim and then I use the flashlight on top of it, not only do I feel like I'm around a campfire, but it's easier to read. I feel like a flashlight shining at, at an iPad is going to be like maybe like a, a logo for the show or something. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a totem for the show. It's always about you, isn't it, cacao? <laughs> <laughs> you think the world revolves around you, cacao? Yeah. It doesn't. She'll over-sexualize everything. It's natural for me. <laughs> the repressed do that. It's true. It's true. It's got to come out somewhere. <laughs> Hello, is it me you're looking for? Because I see you in the garage. <laughs> and I see you all over. I can't. I was going to go with it, but I can't. I'm laughing too much. Every breath you take. Remember? That's what he does. I'll be watching you. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.